We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We are live. All right. A couple of technical difficulties. We are back live here on the Herb Hoop Stats. Happy hour live from beautiful Assembly Hall here in Bloomington, Indiana. And, of course, we're just kidding. Uh, we're at home. We are waiting patiently for the Michigan-Indiana game to start at 6 p.m. Uh, we're going to talk some WNBA free agency, talk about all the trades that went down. We're going to talk about Michigan-Indiana. And then we're going to talk about South Carolina and Tennessee. So welcome. Uh, hang out. Ha- have, a, have a glass of wine. Do something. I forgot to pour myself some wine before we got on. Calvin. How you doing? How first off, let's let's uh, say a quick thing about the weather in Indiana because that's what we were talking about um, before we realized that our stream was not working. Uh, Shay Shay's in the background smiling. She's our producer. Uh, something always goes wrong with our little streaming platform, but it's working now. So, what's the weather like in Indiana? What's your best guess from uh, the great state of Illinois? Yeah, I can probably get to Indiana in under two hours if I drove to the east. Uh, so the weather's probably pretty similar to here, which is freezing and lots of snow perfect weather to stay inside and watching basketball it's also freezing with freezing rain and ice in washington dc uh if you're at home and uh, you're affected by any of the crazy winter weather we hope you guys are doing all right and we hope you're hanging in there and we hope you guys can have some fun with us here with our zoom backgrounds with assembly hall um so calvin we don't have a ton of time so what we're gonna do here today is talk about the trade that went down, the big Natasha Howard trade, while also talking about some ancillary moves that happened after it, and breaking it down by each team. And what we're going to have is Shay, our wonderful producer, as I mentioned, having a timer on us to keep us to about like five minutes per team so then we don't go like super crazy as I want to do as someone who likes to talk about this stuff and writes about it often. So Shay, when you are ready, we're going to start talking about the New York Liberty. So let me know when that's when we're when we're good to go. All right. Time.
timer is going off. So we have five minutes to talk about the New York Liberty. I'll quickly tell you what they did. They traded the number one overall pick in this year's draft, uh, their second round pick in next year's draft, and the Phoenix 2022 first round pick, which they acquired in a trade that sent Kia Nurse and Megan Walker to Phoenix along with that 2022 first round pick and um, and the sixth overall pick in this draft for Natasha Howard. So that was a really, that was the most confusing way I could have said that. What New York ended up with was Natasha Howard and the sixth overall pick. What they gave up was a first overall pick, a Phoenix first round pick, and their second round pick in next year's draft along with Kia Nurse and Megan Walker. Calvin, what are your thoughts generally just on Natasha Howard coming to New York, how high does that push their ceiling? Well, I think it's huge. It definitely speeds up their timeline. I think uh, Kevin Pelton put it best in his article when he said, if you could sort of create a player in a lab to fit the five in Walt Hopkins five out system, you would probably basically create Natasha Howard. Um, I think she's, she's perfect. You know, obviously she's talented anywhere she goes, but in terms of what Walt Hopkins is trying to do, you know, both with, like I said, five out, a lot of cutting off the ball, a lot of a lot of ball screens and pick and roll action with Sabrina Unescu coming back, who was really used to running that at Oregon, and she's going to have a field day running this with Natasha Howard, though. I think, uh, you know, Natasha Howard, this is for both sides, just a, a perfect fit. Yeah, I really love the fit defensively, especially. I think offensively. You know, we're going to have to see how, how much Natasha Howard can get back to that 2019 form where she was an MVP candidate. Um, she also won Defensive Player of the Year that year. So, obviously, her strengths are on the um, defensive on the defensive side of the ball. We don't have a timer, so we're just going to go along and everyone's just going to have to deal with it. So, have fun. Um, but, as I was saying, Natasha Howard really is going to be the linchpin of this defense. I think that's huge because if you look at what happened in New York last year where they only won two games in the, in the wobble – a lot of it was because of their bad pick and roll defense. And she's going to clean that right up. I mean, she's one of the best pick and roll uh, role defenders in the league. Um, I think she is going to give them a different aspect to their defense. And it's just going to be a phenomenal fit on that end. Offensively. I do. Do you think she needs to hit threes at a really high rate for it to work? Or can they get away with her being less of a three point shooter, more of a dive person? I think she needs to hit at a high rate, but not a high volume. I think, you know, she needs to be capable when she's left open. We need to see that three-point percentage somewhere in the, you know, mid-30s, mid to upper 30s. But she doesn't have to be this type of player who's going to be knocking down two or three a game. She really only – that that just has to be there if teams are going to completely give it to her. But, yeah, I think that the first way you're going to see her involved in the offense is, like we said, as more of a diver off of, you know, the pick and rolls with Sabrina Ionescu. And, and honestly, um, we haven't talked about Sammy Whitcomb yet. I think she fits yeah. you know, great as well. She's an excellent – Oh, that's shooter. the other thing that happened. Excuse me. They traded the rights uh, to Stephanie Talbot to uh, the Seattle Storm, in effect, to not match an offer sheet to Sammy Whitcomb. Sammy Wickham is going to be playing their 2-3 two, two, probably. But, yeah, so do you're saying Sammy, Sammy gives them yeah. this aspect of shooting. Yeah, and also I think she's an underrated defender as well. And I think in terms of what they gave up gave – up, this was a great year to trade the number one pick, you know, because we look at there's not necessarily that Sabrina Unescu or that Asia Wilson, you know, at the top of the draft. 
And even if there was with, with the free year, I know you wrote about it a couple months ago in COVID. I, yeah. uh, I think that we don't necessarily know for sure who's coming out of this draft anyway. So the number one pick maybe isn't necessarily as valuable, uh, you know, in 2021 as it would be in some years. They only moved down five spots to the middle of that first round. Uh, I, th- I think the Liberty were big winners here with, you know, all of this when all the dust settled. Yeah, and they get, uh, you know, the number one pick is still a number one pick, but I totally agree with you. Like, I would trade it in. Um, it's going to be interesting, and this is probably a conversation for a different day of whether it makes them title contenders within the next couple years. Like, this core, they're pretty much locked into it. You know, Kia Stokes and Leish Karen then come off the books next year, so that may, there may be some room to change and add, but this is really who they're rolling with. Uh, Sabrina, Benajelani, Natasha Howard, Sammy Whitcomb, Jocelyn Willoughby. That's the core of this team going forward. Everything else is going to have to fall into place, and we'll see what happens with Marine Johannes and a bunch of other players. But New York certainly has a brighter future today, I think, than they did before this trade, and that's what they're looking for. And I think um, it'll get it'll get fans excited there in um, in Barclays Center, assuming that we can all play games in the place where. But whatever, we're not going to discuss that right now. Uh, uh, so Shay gave me the the hook there to talk about something else. So. We're going to move on to the Seattle Storm. Who did the most? It is hard to say that another team has done the most here. So let's talk about what they added. What they added is Katie Lou Samuelson, McKee Herbert Harrigan, Dallas's 2022 second round pick, New York's 2022 second round pick, and the rights to Stephanie Talbot, who they later signed to, I believe, a training camp contract. I will get that information out to you as when Calvin's talking, because then I can just like not pay attention. They also though, as I mentioned, they got the number one pick. Number one pick was not on the things that they received here. So they actually sent out the number one pick for Katie Lou Samuelson and that Dallas second. They also sent out that Phoenix first round pick that they got in the Natasha Howard trade for Marquia Herbert Harrigan, getting um, more proven prospects for this year. When Brandon Stewart Andrew Lloyd are in their last year of their contract, and we may be heading towards a super retirement at some point in the next year or two. So this is really a move where they're trying to they're trying to reconcile the fact that they lost Alicia Clark, they lost Natasha Howard, and they're trying to keep Stewie happy. So she signs an extension, which would be huge because then they could use the core designation on Jewel Lloyd next year. So Calvin, my question here is. Do you think they sacrificed too much to get Katie Lucy Amosel on the team, to get Makia Herbert Harrigan on the team? And do those players have enough potential to make this team very good this year, along with Candace Dupree, who they signed to a contract? Uh, I think yes to both. I, you know, I was, I thought the number one pick, the second trade where they brought in Katie Lou for the number one pick was a little bit of a head scratcher. Um, but you know, I, I mean, I also think Katie Lou, she's entering her third year. You know, we saw what she could do at UConn. She has a high ceiling. I don't know if we've seen the ceiling yet. Um, in terms of what they lost, though, I mean, we already talked about Natasha Howard and Sammy Whitcomb. And, of course, not part of this big, big day of trades. But earlier on, they already lost uh, Alicia Clark. That's a ton of shooting and defense, you know, gone from this team. Maybe Katie Lou can replace some of the shooting. She hasn't been nearly as prolific of a shooter as maybe we thought she'd be so far in the WNBA. Uh, Kiki Herbert-Harrigan has a low, low volume, but but she's uh, definitely someone who can stretch the floor as well. But just in terms of defense, um, you lose Howard, Whitcomb, and Clark among three-player lineups, according to the WNBA website, um, for the Seattle Storm. 
that li- that lineup of those three was second in defensive rating only to Howard, Whitcomb, and Lloyd. So both of those lineups with Howard and Whitcomb, that's that's really the anchor of their defense that you're talking about is gone now. Um, you know, with the exception of Brianna Stewart. And so I defensively, I, I think offensively they're going to be fine. You know, they're they're not necessarily going to be dominant. Defensively is where I'm interested to see where this team goes after really having a historic defensive season in 2020, arguably the best defense ever, certainly top, top three or five. Um, I'm interested to see where they head in that direction. I definitely think they're going to take a step back. No, I'm totally agreeing with you. I'm very concerned about the defense. And I, to me, I wrote, I wrote about this on uh, when I was te- doing my tears column for on Wednesday, I think like they're going to need to be the best offense in the league. That is possible. Like Sue Bird, Jewel Lloyd, if Sue's back to her form um, from 2018, if Jewel can, can really uh, start shooting as I see Shay's shaking her head. We gotta have to get Shay to talk some more. Uh, I don't know if she's shaking her head about that. We haven't talked about Brittany Sykes, so I don't know why she would be shaking her head. But uh, Brianna Stewart, the the thing is, right? Like we could be all worried about the defense. We could be concerned about the the potential. We could be concerned about the valuation because obviously, like Katie Lou Samuelson is not a player who would fetch number one pick in any draft. I don't care how weak it is. But you know, you still got Brianna Stewart, and if Brianna Stewart signs an extension, Seattle and and stays in Seattle. And Jewel Lloyd stays in Seattle too. This team's going to contend for titles for years to come. That's the bottom line, right? Like, if you have Stewie, you will be good enough for the for the going forward. That is the thing about basketball as a sport, with compared to you know a lot of other team sports, with the exception of maybe quarterback and football. There aren't really you know most other team sports. You don't have that one player can necessarily carry you to the playoffs. Um, and even in football, you saw you know not to get too off topic, but Deshaun Watson. Some, sometimes it doesn't even work for the quarterback in football, but. You know, in basketball, when you have that top three, that MVP candidate who's, you know, the face of the franchise for for a decade, they can that's good enough, especially in a league like the WNBA, where you're talking about two thirds of the teams getting to the playoffs. That's not necessarily I'm not, you know, necessarily going to look at the storm as a championship team this year. But like you said, if they have Brianna Stewart on the roster, they're getting into the playoffs. No, I mean, and if you told me like, hey, they won the championship this year. I wouldn't be that surprised. It's just like Brandon Stewart became even better. Um, so that's that's where you're at with Seattle. You just got to keep those two. If you keep those two, you'll be rolling. And it might actually be a good idea. I think uh, I want to say Ben Dole was writing about this. Maybe I'm giving credit to the wrong person. But I think Ben wrote about it. Like It's actually kind of easier to build around two Supermax players than three or four. Speaking of trying to build around Three Supermax players. Let's move to the Phoenix Mercury. Uh, okay. Phoenix. What they did, obviously, we they said they sent out two first-round picks. They got back Kia Nurse and Megan Walker. From an asset valuation standpoint, I'm not sure this is the best idea because this team is going to need young talent going forward. However... Phoenix is all about Diane Strauss. They're going to give her everything she they can give her in order to give her the tools she needs to win a championship in in Phoenix in her life in her waning years. Let's be real; these are waning years. Like they're going to do everything they can to get her another title, get her get Brittany Griner more talent to go chase the title. If you're just if you like release yourself from the idea that they need young talent. This is a pretty good trade because Kia Nurse is a damn good player. I know she had a terrible season last year, but she's going to be much better this year, especially 
when she doesn't have an ankle sprain and when she's not like the only creator in an offense, I think she'll do great. Uh, they also brought in Megan Walker. I think Megan Walker has a ton of talent, really weird year in, in New York last year. I think she has potential too. So I am a little concerned with them just shipping out first round picks after year, after year, after year, this is like the third year that they've done it. And last year they traded the pick that became Jocelyn Willoughby. Actually, no, they trade, they drafted Jocelyn Willoughby and then traded her for Troy Walker Kimbrough, who's not on this team anymore. So I am concerned about the valuation, but Calvin, my question to you is does Kia nurse and Megan Walker push this team just a little bit higher into the title conversation for you? Uh, you know, I'm not ready to go there yet in terms of the title okay. conversation. I think, I think they've improved, but so have a lot of other teams at the top, mm-hmm. maybe even more so. Um, so, you know, I'm not ready to put them, put them in that tier quite yet. I do think, uh, you know, the point that you brought up with Kia nurse about being the only creator on that offense last year, that's a good one because I think, uh, with both of these players with Megan Walker as well, that we're going to see improvement this year because yeah. with the defensive attention that Brittany Griner gets defensive attention that you know, Skylar Diggins-Smith gets and Deanna Taurasi gets. Uh, these two players both shot below 25% from three last year. That's not happening again this year. Kia Nurse was 35% the year before that. Megan Walker was a 40-plus percent three-point shooter at UConn. These these two players are going to be a lot more free and get open looks. Um, and we're, we're going to, you know, see a lot more offensive production from both of them. But I'm, I'm with you, though, on the first-round picks. I'm not sure if, if I really like when you have – like you said, Diana Taurasi is, she might play another 20 years for all we know, but she is 39 or whatever she is. Uh, you know, your other two cornerstones are on the wrong side of 30 as well. Not sure if you just want to be playing so so free and loose, if you will, with these first round picks. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, they do have, like, they've hit, like, Brianna Turner is really good. Um, I think Alana Smith's good. You know, I, and Bria Hartley, they gave her a max contract, and that's a big old contract, but... She, when they were rolling last year, she was playing great. So you, I, I can't fault them for that. Um, however, I'm I'm concerned just like how's Turner going to fit next to Griner after her year last year where she really exploded when Griner left the wobble. How is Bria Hartley going to do in year two off an injury? Like, you know, it, it, can she take another step? Because she's going to need to take another step. She took a step last year. But she's gonna take it. She's gonna need to take another one. Same with Kia Nurse. And then guess what? Let's say Kia Nurse takes that next step and plays great. She's gonna get a big old contract offer because she's a restricted free agent, and the Phoenix cannot match. They're almost capped out as is. So I I just am a little concerned with this team's ceiling. You could. This is another team, right? If you have Diana Taurasi. If you have Skylar Dickens-Smith, if you have Brittany Griner, you will compete for a time. You know, it, it, it may be, that may mean you're the five seed, but you're in the, you're in the hunt. So there's that aspect to it, but I am concerned about their future. And I think there could be a cratering out at some point if Diana Taurasi falls off, like even a smidge, because she was tremendous last year. So like, that's my, que- like, that's my big question. It's like, okay, let's say Diana Taurasi takes a tiny step back because she's 40, right? Diana Taurasi is 40 something. Um, what happens? What happens to this team? Can they can they survive it? Yeah, you know, and and you brought up their ceiling. I mean, I I think if it's a tiny step back, you know, she they can survive it in terms of being a playoff team. I think that I think these moves raise to their floor a lot. But I'm with you that I'm. It's not about the floor. I'm concerned about the ceiling, and and I'm not sure. You know, 
unless Dana Taurasi is every bit of the Dana Taurasi of last year, if they have that championship season. I agree. All right, let's move on. We're getting the hook from, from Shay. Um, this is going to be weird because we're putting this out as a podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast, hello, how are you? Um, but Shay, Shay is producing this as a television. Television. What is television now? We're wasting time. Moving on to the <laughs> Dallas Wings. Uh, how fast did Greg Bibb accept the, the offer for the number one pick for Katie Lou Samuelson? Did he even like hear the rest? He just heard, <laughs> hey, we're gonna, can we trade you the number one pick for Katie? Yes. Yes, that is what we're going to do that 100%. Yes, done. Call in the league right now. Um, that's a tremendous bit of business for Dallas. The issue now, <laughs> the issue now is that, and they've had this issue for the last two years. Like they have 12 players on the roster and they have five picks in the first 13 picks of the draft. They have number one, number two, number five, number seven, and the first pick in the second round, which is number 13. There's no possible way they can keep at this point. If they want to keep the players on their roster, there's no possible way they can keep all of those, all of those draft picks. So your options here are you pick all the players and you get them to training camp and you figure out who's going to play, or you pick, you use some picks and you try to stash some other picks. I'm sure, I'm sure they have some sort of loose plan here, but I don't know. It just seems like a lot of work now for Vicky Johnson in year one, right? Yeah, you know, it's, I don't know if you've ever played fantasy sports. This is what it reminds yes. me of. It's like, if you ever play fantasy sports in a league with some people who are like not that active, like a little bit, you know? And so there's there's a few people on free agency who are, are on the waivers who, who are really good. And you feel like you need to pick them up. But you already have a full roster of people who you love and you don't want to drop. And you're like, why, why can I only keep 12? Why, I wish I could keep 18 because there's so many rules. This is, it's, it's the rules. It's how the league works. This is what it feels like to me, you know, the situation the wings are in, where they have, they have so many of these young, valuable pieces. And they don't necessarily have time to see, to just, because, because they can't keep 18 or whatever it is, people on the roster. They don't have, they can't keep all these people for two or three years and see who pans out and who doesn't. And then, you know, keep the ones that do, which would be a great strategy, because if you have seven first round picks in two years, you're almost guaranteed to hit on, you know, at least two or three of them, even if you have some big swings and misses. But they can't do that. Um, so, I mean, le- like you said, you have to, regardless of how many spots you have, when you get that offer of, of Katie Lou Zingerson for number one pick, that's an, that's an automatic yes. You, you don't even think about, you know, what am I going to do with this number one pick? Am I going to have room to sign this number one pick? You figure, you say yes. Figure out the rest later. You know the rest will will let the dominoes take care, fall and take care of themselves. But but I am tr- am uh, interested to see what moves this team makes in terms of you know all of these people they're gonna have to sign. Uh yeah. I mean I think they I mean they can take um I don't know how to pronounce her name I'm gonna butcher it. I'll walk queer. Have you heard her name before? I've only read it in print. Um, I, I uh, have not heard her name. I've only seen her in I, Europe I and like <laughs> I've only seen her in like that people speaking different languages. So I'm not sure entirely sure like how to pronounce the name. So I apologize to her. I think she's going to be a number one or number two overall pick though, for sure. Like she's going to, she's a stash product. Like she's going to be able to stay in Finland and grow as an, I think she's like 18, 19. Like they can just draft her and say like, Hey, cool. And she's probably like 20 actually. That's the rule. Um, but they can draft her and say like, Hey, cool. You stay overseas while we figure out our whole thing. Yeah. She'll be, tw- she'll be 20 in August. Um, they can say, Hey, chillin, you stay overseas and, and we'll wait, we'll wait it out. So I'm guessing she's going to be a number one or number two overall pick. The question is who do you bring in? Right? Like 
I don't know, Charlie Collier would fit nicely at center, but it, it, it is going to be very confusing because, like, they have Bella Allery, who they used a number five pick on. Isabel Harrison's here. You know, can they cut Megan Gustafson without the state of Iowa going and burning down the Wings facility? That's the question. Kayla Thorne just signed a big con- – Kayla Thorne just signed an extension, though. Uh, they committed to Mariah Jefferson. Marina Mayberry had a great year last year next to Rika Gumbale. Alicia Gray just signed an extension. So it's like they can – they were – they may have to use one of these picks to get off Astudor or Isabel Harrison, although I kind of like those players. Like you can use them. Um, Brian Agler didn't use them last year, but I don't know what Vicky Johnson's going to do. So – it's a lot of work. It's obviously a great trade. A really great piece of business for Greg. Um, and I think with Arike, right? This we're, we're we're right back to where we started on all these teams. Like you got Arike, you got Satu. It's probably gonna work out. Like you, you're probably fine. Like we don't need to criticize it too much because you got two really good players to build around. Um, and I, but I'm interested to see what what's gonna happen. Like how many European players can you pick in one draft um, and trade and trade a those picks okay let's go to the last team involved in this trade and don't worry if like we're not talking about your team right now it's just like they weren't involved in this trade and that's what we were talking about um let's go to minnesota minnesota gave up uh kiki herbert harrigan for a uh future first round pick yeah they added uh phoenix's first round pick next year could be a pretty good pick. Like that's number six. It's a solid pick. And uh, be, because of that, it kind of enabled them to then trade to attach a first round pick to Odyssey Sims to send her to Indiana, which uh, opened up a protected contract slot, which allowed them to sign aerial powers. Um, they also though, got a second round pick from Indiana, which I think is a really big deal because Indiana's second round picks probably going to be pretty good uh, considering that roster. So, they kind of trade down maybe like five spots, eight spots maximum in the in next year's draft while also getting a first rounder for Kiki Herbert Harrigan, who probably wasn't going to play on this team that's trying to win now. Minnesota did a lot. What do you think of this team now that they have everything officially done? And what do you think about just like the asset plays in those in this trade for uh, Herbert Harrigan and the other trade for Sims? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I said this in the last podcast that, or the last show that we did together that Minnesota is my very early pick to win the championship. I know you put them sort of at Ooh. the top of your tier two in um, in your your tier article that just came out. Was that today? Recently, go ch- go check no, it I think out. I was, uh, yeah, it was like on Wednesday, but yeah, go check it out. Yeah, right stuff on the Herb Hoop Stats out, newsletter. Yeah, yeah, go read it all. Um, yeah, but you know, maybe a little bit of a bold take, but but Minnesota certainly believes that they can win a championship, and so they certainly, like you said. With this trade uh, to get the, the the second rounder from the Fever, they certainly believe that they're going to have the number twelve pick in the first round. Who knows what the Fever are going to have? But it's probably going to be somewhere between thirteen and fifteen. You're really not moving down very much, and you're also, of course, saving a little bit of money there if you sign that player because you know, according to the CBA, the rookie skill contract is going to mm-hmm. be slightly cheaper with the second round. It might actually be worth it to save whatever small amount that is. The difference between you know eleven, twelve, and whatever thirteen, fourteen is really not going to be very big. I don't actually mind this trade for that reason, even though on the surface it looks like, well, they gave up a first rounder, they gave up a third rounder, they gave up Odyssey Sims. All they brought back was a second rounder. It sort of looks lopsided on paper, but you have to sort of view area powers as part of the trade too, right? Because this trade was in order to 
you know, free up, like you said, that sixth protected spot to be able to sign her. Um, I, I think the jump, you know, to, to um, add aerial powers to the roster. And also, like we said, that's not really a very big difference for that first and second round pick that they're trading. I, th- I think this made a lot of sense, um, you know, from the Lynx perspective. I think it was a really, I, uh, I thought it was an excellent job by Coach Reeve because she had her back against the wall. Like uh, I wrote about this um, even before it was, it was happening. Like I knew they were going to, teams are going to try to extract everything they possibly could from Cheryl Reeve because they knew she had to do it. She already signed Ariel Powers. She did not have a spot for Ariel Powers. So she needed to make this trade. She had her back against the wall and she got Indiana to take a, a decently favorable deal. Like both, like, Minnesota probably left a little unhappy, but in the back, the back of their mind, they're like, "Yes, like we did it. Like we did, we did a really good job to get off um, Sims." And not that they don't like Sims. Hell, they could still bring her back since Indiana inexplicably waived her, which is another issue for another podcast slash live stream. But they could hypothetically bring back Odyssey Sims. We have not found a rule in the CBA that says I cannot do that. I would. It seems like something that's illegal, but. They could do it. So this team, though, is largely intact, and they have a really good chance. I'm with you. Like, I think they could win a championship. I think I'd put them I, – like I said, i put them behind those three teams in my article. I said that I'd put them behind Chicago, Washington, and Vegas, assuming all those teams have all their players. I think those three teams are just a little better. But Minnesota is damn good, and I'm really excited for particularly Kayla McBride. She is going to look so good in Minnesota system. Like it's going to be amazing. Um, and you know, you could already talk, you could already see how much Reeve and McBride are smiling about the types of cuts that they could do, how they could use her coming off the line, how they could use her with the ball in her hand. So I'm really excited for Kayla McBride. And, you know, I guess my question is like, is Nafisa Collier just like a top five player? If she's a top five player, they're going to win the championship. I think she is. I think I think she's borderline top five right now. I also think, you know, I agree with you what you said in your piece in terms of Minnesota maybe, maybe being a step behind those first three teams you mentioned in terms of talent. I also think Cheryl Reeve can win a championship with a roster that's a step behind the top tier in talent mm-hmm. because she has shown herself to be a talent developer and a, you know, a coach that can get the most out of the, the sum of the parts, if you will. So so that's why I'm picking the Lynx as, as my champion this year. Um, but, you know, I, I love what they did this offseason. Jumping the gun, man! You're making a championship prediction <laughs> February 18th. I know Come you didn't on. ask me to. I just, I just, Come had to, on. I just had to. <laughs> well, you're making a championship prediction on February 18th. We don't even know when the damn season's starting. Um, <laughs> it's that. That's uh, that's a bold take. I'm not gonna predict anyone to win a championship. Um, although I'm sure someone somewhere is mad about the article that I wrote tearing out teams. But that's. <laughs> your problem that is not Mm. my problem all right let's talk let's talk let's move down the ranks uh to college basketball um this is an area where you have the expertise um and i'm gonna let you shine here because frankly i haven't like this month has been insane in terms of the WNBA. so that's pretty much what i've been doing is just watching tape of players and trying to figure out how they're gonna fit on teams so i haven't watched a ton of basketball so right now i need i need i need calvin the educator here on the Her Hoop Stats happy hour to educate me on Indiana and on Michigan. I'm not rooting for Michigan. I'm actually, I don't, <laughs> I don't particularly like Michigan. Um, and I really enjoy a lot of Indiana stuff. Um, but these two teams ranked in the top 15, they are currently second and third in the uh, Big Ten standings. Michigan is behind Maryland and Indiana 
uh, is at 11 and two, whereas Michigan's at seven and one. Michigan obviously had that big uh, COVID layoff for two weeks. Um, seems like issues got resolved, which cool. So this game is kind of going to determine who gets a shot at winning the regular season championship uh, if Maryland falters, right? So get, give me the big, the big picture on, let's start with Indiana. What makes Indiana go? Well, so Indiana, you know, what I love about Indiana is that they basically have, you could sort of say three point guards in their starting lineup. Uh, you know, it starts with Grace Berger, who's one of eight players in the country, averaging 15 points, five rebounds, five assists. She has two triple doubles. I think uh, I might be wrong about this. They're the only two this season, you know, in college basketball. Um, and, and and then you have Allie Patberg, who, who's taken a step back, actually, from last year. But Grace Berger has sort of replaced some of that production. This is this is Allie Patberg's first year after, you know, the last two seasons, she shot 38, 39% from three. This, this year, that's tipped below 30%. So um, that, you know, I'm interested to see how Allie Patford steps up tonight uh, and if she's able to knock down her perimeter shots. But uh, you have both of those players who who last year, Patford averaged five assists, Berger averaged three. This year, that's flipped. Berger's averaging five, Patford's averaged three. You also throw in Nicole Cardano-Hillary, who has stepped into the starting lineup, you know, as their fifth starter now, um, transfer from George Mason after, after Jalen Penn, you know, had that ankle injury and opted out. Uh, she played point guard for three years at George Mason, and now she's, you know, basically the fifth starter on this team. You really have three capable ball handlers, capable shooters, um, and it's it's a perfect storm for for Mackenzie Holmes in the middle to just be able to eat and go to work. Um, so, you know, I, lo- I love watching this team and how how these players sort how those perimeter players sort of play off each other. You know, they're all able to find each other, and how Mackenzie Holmes just just absolutely dominates the paint the pain on both ends of the floor. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at this team's stat profile and the games you've watched them, like they're just the dominant defense. They are seventh of the nation in the herd hoop stats, defensive rating with at 76 point, 76.2 points per 100 possessions offensively 107.6 points per 100 possessions, which is 29th among 343 teams in the country. That is damn good in a conference. That is one of the best in the nation. Uh, and then we, when we flip it over to Michigan, I can tell you what makes this team go. I've, I know enough to know this. It's Nas Hillman. Uh, that she is just a dominant inside force. Twenty six points per game. Uh, her eleven point seven rebounds per game. Point seven blocks. Like a beast in every regard. Obviously, we all know that she had a fifty point game uh, against Ohio State right before the team had to go on that COVID break. I'm interested in getting your perspective on this. Like, I don't know how to think. And she, I think Nas Hillman is a junior, right? She is. Yeah, Nas Hillman's a junior. So I'm, I'm just like, as a WNBA person, I'm like, I'm not sure how to think about her in terms of what she can do at the next level. Not that it matters for this game, obviously. But I'm interested in getting your perspective as to what you think she could profile as in the pros. Yeah, well, you know, she's not she's not a shooter, really. She she hasn't taken any threes. She doesn't she doesn't stretch the floor. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't need to at, at this level because she's so dominant in the paint. Like you said, she's shooting seventy nine percent at the rim, and that's on high <laughs> volume. Like you said, 26, third in the nation in the game uh, in points per game of twenty six. 
I think at the next level, you know, maybe the hope is that she can step out. She's shooting 75% from the free throw line. So unlike a lot of these bigs that you see who don't shoot threes, who go in the paint, she's not a liability there. She has that capability to knock down free throws, which I think is a good sign in terms of her maybe stepping out, you know, and, and expanding her range a little bit at the next level, especially since uh, she's going to get, you know, we believe at least one more year. I don't know when her birthday is, whether she's eligible for the draft, but it probably doesn't matter. We think she's coming back anyway. You know, at least one more year in college to sort of hone that part of her game. I think she's going to be a good player in the WNBA because I think in addition to all those things you said, you know, only player in the top 10 in points and rebounds in the country. Like we said, she, she you know, owns the paint and is as efficient as anyone. Um, she's also really underrated as a passer, which is mm-hmm. crucial when you're that good in, in the paint because you, you're going to face double team after double team. And Michigan has shooters around her. Leah Brown is shooting 46% from three. Um, you know, you have to be able to find those players. And, and Michigan's really good at cutting off the ball, too. So they sort of, you know, help her. They, it's it's a chicken or the egg thing. Is she a good passer because they cut off the ball or vice versa? I don't know. But um, I think that's that's going to be, you know, another skill that's really going to translate and, uh, you know, thrive at the WNBA level. Did we talk? Did we? Did you bring up her offensive rebounding percentage? Because that eighteen point seven—that's absolutely absurd. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I, that's crazy. I, I, it's 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 unbelievable. It's uh, what what she's able to do really on both sides of the ball in t- in terms of rebounding um, mm-hmm. is is just unreal. You know, I was just uh, going back and watching the film earlier of their game a couple of days ago against uh, Michigan State, and I mean. Every, just for, she had I think five offense rebounds in the first half. I might have that number wrong. Every every from the jump. Michigan State mm-hmm. was sending two bodies sometimes at her to box her out. Uh, it didn't matter. She's relentless. Um, and it's it's a huge part of Michigan's offense is, in addition to, you know, all her paint touches that she gets, is getting the ball on the rim and letting letting her go get it. Yeah. Now, this game's coming up at in about four and 20 minutes, uh, 6 p.m. on Big Ten Network. Uh, our colleague, Christy Winter-Scott, on the call. Actually, so uh, go watch that game. I love watching games with Christy because I get to talk to her every week about it later. Um, also, the shouts to Christy because her South Lake Seahawks lost in the regional final, um, which that's a that's a significant bummer because they had a pretty Cinderella season. Um, her high school, her daughter's high school team, who she is a coach of, uh, and Bree Scott heading to Georgetown, who almost won today and did not because they're having a rough season. Uh, regardless, let's, let's talk more about this game. Give me a matchup that it, w- what's a key matchup in this game. Is it going to be whoever's guarding that? Like, do you even try to stop Nas Hillman? Because Ohio state kind of just a letter eat and won the game anyways. Um, what would be your key matchup in this game? Yeah. Well, you know, I love Leah Brown and I think she's, maybe the most underrated player in the country. She's averaging 20 points a game and, and is really the Robin to Nas Hillman's Batman. But I do think the matchup to watch has to be Nas Hillman versus Mackenzie Holmes. We talked about, you know, how dominant they both are. Nas Hillman is definitely a little bit more so on the offensive end. Mackenzie Holmes, though, is just one of the best, rim, maybe the best rim protector, certainly one of them in the Big Ten, um, averaging almost three blocks per game. Here, here's what I'm concerned about for Indiana, though, in terms of this matchup. Um, when Holmes sits, shout out to CBB analytics, by the way, for the, for the on-off data, uh, which, you know, with all the usual caveats of on-off data, I still think this is important. When Holmes sits, Indiana allows opponents to shoot 72% at the rim, which is a full over 10 percentage points different, you know, 10 percentage points worse than when Holmes is on the court. Um, and obviously that's huge when you're going up against a player like 
Nas Hillman. Here, one thing though that Mackenzie Holmes has done much better at this year than you know last year um, for this Indiana team is staying out of foul trouble to be able to be on the court because they struggle to guard the rim when she is not on the court. That's really important. Last year she averaged 19 points per game, or excuse me, 19 minutes per game. This year she's she's up at almost 30 and still averaging fewer fouls per game than she did last year. Wow. So that's going to be a key is can she stay in the court? Um, obviously, she's gotten you know much better at that, but at the same time, she hasn't gone up against someone like Nas Hillman yet, who can who can just you know wreak havoc and 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 is one of the best players in the country at drawing fouls. If Mackenzie Holmes gets into foul trouble early, uh, this might be a long night for Indiana in terms of guarding you know guarding the rim and, and trying to stop Nas Hillman. But if she can stay on the court, I think she is one of the most well equipped players to match up one-on-one with Nas Hillman. Not sure if anyone can fully stop her one-on-one. We're going to have to send doubles, you know, here and there, but, but McKenzie Holmes is about as close as you can get. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think it's just hard to stay off outro period when you're playing a player that good, you know, like it's just, it's a mental, it's almost a mental thing. Like you're just like, I have to foul her to stop her. Um, okay. Let's make a prediction. Although we have a, we have a few more minutes. Um, but yeah, let's make a prediction. I like doing this. I like putting people on the spot. I'll make one first since mine is like mostly uninformed because I haven't seen it. I haven't seen Michigan play, honestly, since they came back from break. I haven't seen Indiana play in a couple weeks. So don't know where either of these teams super are, but I'm going to make a prediction anyways because that's what we do on podcasts. Uh, I'm going Indiana at home in Assembly Hall, uh, taking taking the one from – Michigan, and then I believe that may actually end up giving Maryland the Big Ten title. Who you got? I'm actually going to go with Michigan. I think Michigan has a little bit of chip on their shoulder after not being part of that top 16 uh, seed reveal over the weekend. Um, you know, they're in the top 16 in the net, they're in the top 16 in the eight people. They have been for a long time. Um, but really, the layoff and the lack of games, I think, is what the committee was looking at, not putting them as a top four seed. I think they have a chip on their shoulder. Um, this, this is going to be whoever wins this game. This is going to be the biggest win for either of them on the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting looking at these two teams resumes. Both of them have exactly one win over a team that's currently ranked. And that is number 24 Northwestern who just lost last night. He's probably about yeah. to drop out of the rankings. So it could be that on when Monday's rankings come out, the only re- currently ranked team that either of these teams has beaten is each other, whichever one wins today. Um, so it's a massive game. Like you said, if Maryland can get picked off, you know, down the stretch, it's a massive game, maybe even has title implications. I'm going to go with Michigan. All right. Uh, by the way, elsewhere in the big 10, Ohio state beat Purdue at a game that was played at 4 PM for God knows what reason. <laughs> I don't know why the big 10 is doing this to us. Like, why are you putting ranked games in the middle of the day? Uh, they won hundred to 85 Iowa beats Penn state. Uh, they, I knew you were worried about that before we got on. They beat them ninety six to seventy eight. Yeah, um, so Iowa, Iowa. Uh, outscored Penn State twenty seven to eleven in the fourth quarter of that game. They were losing for about three quarters, and then as soon as we went live, they uh, they turned it around and saved themselves from a really embarrassing and damaging resume loss. You're welcome, Iowa. You are welcome as always. Uh, and then to, just to look ahead a little bit to Maryland. Uh, assuming all these games get played, disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Uh, they have Minnesota at Purdue and at Northwestern um, at 11 and one. I'm not, if Indiana wins tonight, I don't think they can get caught because they'll have a tiebreaker 
over Indiana, assuming they beat, assuming they only lose one of those games, which I think is a pretty good assumption, considering how damn good Maryland has been this season. Um, but that's for the regular season title. Obviously, the conference tournament will determine a lot more. Quick question before we move on to uh, South Carolina, Tennessee. Which conference is better, the Big Ten or the SEC? I'm going to go with the SEC. Uh, I think the SEC is deeper. I think Mm -hmm. um, they had, I believe it was five teams in that top 16 seed reveal, and they have another probably three or so tournament teams. Uh, You know, you could talk about maybe Alabama being in the bubble. Of course, Ohio State, uh, not eligible for the tournament this year. So when you look at Big Ten's tournament teams, you have to sort of add one mentally. Um, but but I, th- I just, the SEC is such a grind night in and night out. And you see teams like even Texas A&M, their one loss was to LSU, who's not, maybe on the wrong side of the bubble, but probably not a tournament team. You have uh, Ole Miss, not a tournament team, but one of the most improved teams in the country and giving people fits. I mean, it seems like every every Thursday night, I feel like I, or, or every Sunday, you know, when most of these games are played, I look at the SEC and see some ranked team losing late if not losing the game to an unranked team you know with the exception of south carolina who doesn't lose to anyone um, sec is uh is just loaded from you know in terms of these teams in the middle who can pick off anyone at the top at any given night south carolina only loses gross games um i mean there's an argument that south carolina kind of usually plays gross games but they've only lost the only the only games they've lost are gross games to very good teams so uh, you got you to gotta tip your hats to them. And they haven't, I don't think they, they haven't lost at home, right? The NC State game was away as well or in a neutral site. Uh, uh, NC State was at South Carolina, actually. Oh, okay. So they, so they have lost at home. Not that home court matters. Yeah. I do hope Alabama makes it because I want to see Jasmine Walker in the tournament. But that's not who we're talking about today. We're not going to, we're going to give the teams that are playing their shine South Carolina, Tennessee. South Carolina's, uh, like you mentioned, 12 and 0 in conference. Uh, Tennessee is six and three in the conference. At some point, if someone else is going to get get close to winning this conference, South Carolina has to go down. Could it be tonight? Ryan Davis coming in for Tennessee, one of the best draft prospects in this class, going up against you know the list of players from South Carolina. I don't think I need to tell you all of them, but Aaliyah Boston leads the group. And, and this, I, I'm not sure it's it's uh, going to go well for Tennessee, but what do you think? Yeah, well, you know, it's a huge game in the standings uh, both ways, not that Tennessee is going to be able to catch South Carolina, but assuming, and again, disclaimer, disclaimer, you know, that everyone comes to the SEC tournament, that they have an SEC tournament, mm-hmm. and everyone who has not opted out, which is everyone except Vanderbilt, um, is there, you're uh, under the normal format, you're talking about the top four getting that double buy. Right now, Tennessee is at six and three. You have Kentucky and Georgia at eight and four with the same winning percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more games won, more games lost, uh, sort of breathing down their neck. Those three teams are really fighting it out for spots three and spots four. For Tennessee to come away with an upset tonight would be huge for them to get one of those double buy spots, in the top four in the SEC. On the flip side for South Carolina, you know, the only team that can catch them is Texas A&M, who's, mm-hmm. who's one loss right now. South Carolina, obviously undefeated. They they play each other if, if, if it doesn't get canceled uh, for the only time this season on the last day of the regular season, which if they both win out until then will be for the SEC regular season title. Because if Texas A&M 
wins, they'll both have one loss, they'll have the head tiebreaker. So, so this is a, a really big game for South Carolina too, to just to be able to make sure that they stay ahead of Texas A&M or at least even with them in that game is for the title. Um, you know, if they get picked off, South Carolina has a pretty tough schedule coming up. They, they go to Kentucky, uh, excuse me, they play at home against Kentucky in their next game. Kentucky game fits, you know, was up for most of the game, ended up losing by five the last time around. So, so this, if they do get picked off tonight, it could turn into a two game losing streak. Yeah. You never know. Ryan Howard could go off on them. Um, and all of a sudden Texas A&M could be in the driver's seat. So it's a huge game, uh, you know, in the standings both ways. I got South Carolina though. I just think they're yeah, a more talented I was about team. To say. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was that was my long-winded way of leading up to my prediction that I am going to go with South Carolina. I'm not going to get that bold. You know, I hope it's a close game. I don't know if it will be. Um, South Carolina is just, just just too talented. I think if Tennessee is going to win this game, though, what they're going to have to do is take advantage of their length in the backcourt. Both of these teams are really big in the front court and own the paint. There's there's uh, two teams in the country who rebound over 40% of their own misses and over 70% of opponents' misses and also block over 13% of their opponent's shots. That's South Carolina and Tennessee. So in terms of offensive, defensive rebounding and blocks, these two teams are the class of the country. Um, you know, like you said, Renaya Davis, Aaliyah Boston. Um, there's, there's just so many big people on both That's these teams. But here's where I think Tennessee wins it, if they do win it, is that Tennessee also has that size in the backcourt which South Carolina can't match up with. Destiny Henderson, 5'7", Zia Cook, 5'9". They are more talented and they are quicker, but they are not bigger than Tennessee's backcourt, who is 6'1", 6'2", 6'2". We talked about how much Nas Hillman dominates the paint. She's 6'2". Tennessee's whole starting lineup basically is 6'2", plus, mm. except for their shooting guard, who's 6'1", in Ray Burrow. So if, if you can you know get some of those players like Henderson and Zia Cook caught up, you know, in a matchup in the post, force them to guard, you know, Tennessee's ones, twos, and threes in the post. Um, and also just take advantage of that link to get deflections, you know, to, uh, to help and, and uh, just frustrate, you know, it's, it's always when you're a little guard, when I was playing basketball, I was a little guard. So I hated when someone really long and lanky and big was on me. Um, and that's what Tennessee does to you, you know? So Tennessee's going to win the game. It's going to be by taking advantage of their length in the backcourt. Excellent analysis and like graphics that uh, Shay was putting up there. That was really fun. Uh, I was just watching it on my phone. So was, <laughs> that, was, that was a lot of fun for me personally. Uh, I, yeah, I think South Carolina is going to win. I don't, I don't need all the fancy numbers or whatever. Like South Carolina is just a better team. Um, I believe in, I, you know, the length in the backcourt, they make a good point. I just think Destiny Henderson's eye cook, like those players can get to the rim and they, what happened against UConn and what hasn't happened out, other times the season is they literally could not make anything. Not that this team shoots great, right? Like this is not like a, a tremendous shooting team from the field, but they're better than what they put on tape against UConn because there was just a lid on that basket. I think this team is amazing. I just think this defensively, they're third in the nation are her hoop stats defensive rating. Like that. I don't, I, it, it's tough to score. It's tough to score because they have a Leah Boston to start off with. And then you have a bunch of willing, tough defenders, um, including Victoria Saxon, who I think is one of the tougher players in the nation. Um, so I'm excited to see where this, where this team goes. I think they're going to win tonight. I think the bigger question is when they play Texas A&M, do they put it down on Texas A&M? Cause they play good team. Like, like you mentioned, this was best conf- one of the best conferences in the country. They put it down on good teams. Um, but my 
you know, I want to see them do it again now that they've, you know, kind of got dinged um, against UConn just to see how they can, how they can play against a really, really good team in Texas A&M and come out and, and win the conference, put their stamp on this season like they did last year before uh, COVID hit and we lost, we lost the remaining season, right? Like they were on this massive winning streak. So I want to see them do it again soon. Starts tonight against Tennessee, like you mentioned. Then they're going to go uh, off and play Kentucky, Florida, Texas A&M. I want to see them put it down on all three of those teams because they should be better than all three of those teams, frankly. Just like flat out, you need to be putting it down on those teams because you're better. Um, now, my question, though, we have like, you know, we have like two minutes left. I want to get off so people can get their TVs. Um, but the is South Carolina the best team in the country, in your estimation, good sir? Uh, they're they're one of them. I'm gonna go with Stanford as the best team okay. in the country. You know, they're already you know right up there in, in whatever metric or ranking you want to look at. And I think people don't talk enough about how Stanford has done that basically on the road yeah. all year. They went from like November. 20 something. I don't have the dates in front of me to February 6th or something like that with the whole month of December, or January without playing a home game. And in addition, Michelle Smith, PAC 12 writer brought up a great point the other day that Cal Stanford's travel partner in the PAC 12 uh, has had a really long COVID pause. And therefore um, wherever Stanford goes, wherever they're playing only has to prepare for them mm-hmm. while they're having to prepare for two opponents. They go to Arizona. They have to prepare for Arizona and Arizona state. Both of those teams point. are only spending the whole week preparing for them. And despite all that, they've still put together one of the best resumes in, you know, one of the most impressive performances in the country. I'm going to go with Stanford as number one. I certainly think South Carolina is in the top, top three. Um, and could, could definitely win a championship. Um, you know, especially if their transition game is working and if they're, if their shots are falling, you, you mentioned, you know, they're shooting. Uh, so you, if you go through their game log, it's their three point 50%, 50%, 10%, 10%, 50%, 10%. Uh, it's so inconsistent when their shots are falling, no one's beating them. And when they're getting out in transition, like we said, destiny Henderson, Zaya cook, even if they're a little bit too small to maybe match up with some of those Tennessee guards in the backcourt, they're going to beat them all down the floor. So it's not going to matter. And they're going to beat them off the dribble. So it's not going to matter their transition game. That's also what lost them the game at UConn. I think is the mm-hmm. shots not falling and you kind of really, really did a good job of getting back and slowing them down in transition. I don't think Tennessee is going to be able to handle that. I don't think most teams can. So if South Carolina can get out in transition, um, you know, and, and connect on their shots, I think they're right there with anyone in the country. Yeah. I think South Carolina is the best team in the country. Just they they have too much talent. I've said it. I've said it before. Uh, Stanford's excellent. And we'll give you UConn credit. I don't know why I don't believe in UConn this year. They just have too many freshmen. Like, I just keep what and, and Paige is incredible, and they're and you know, Kristen Williams is incredible. I love Olivia Nelson and Dota. I just don't know why I can't believe in this team. I can't believe in, in UConn as the national championship favorite. I still think it's South Carolina or Stanford. Um, or you know what? You can convince me on NC State because they have. I think NC State might have the highest ceiling in the country. But they also have a pretty low floor, especially for these good teams that we're talking about in the top 10. Um, and if Angel Reese was healthy, I'd say Maryland's up there too, but she's not. So uh, if she comes back, I'm not sure where, where, we are, where we are with her injury. She comes back, she's the next yeah. The last thing that I've heard, which may not be up to date, is that she has a chance at coming back in early March. Um, I certainly hope that, that happens because I agree with you. I think she, was, she had a phenomenal start to her freshman year you know, in November. And if she comes back, this team's ceiling is a national championship. 
Yeah, I just don't know how you know what is how is she going to come back? She's a freshman, so we'll have to see. We have plenty of time to talk about that on these her hoop stats happy hours. We're going to try to do one every week. Next week, I'm not going to be here. Megan Gower is on the last one. Megan Gower is very good at this, so you will be in very good hands regardless if I'm here or not. Thank you to Shay Jennings who was clicking the clacks, ticking the talks. So not tick, no, was she wasn't TikToking. I don't know actually. She, yeah, were you TikToking? No, she was not. She was not on TikTok uh, while producing this. Um, and Calvin, thank you to you for providing our college basketball insights and going with me on the WNBA journey and providing your insights there. This was a lot of fun. Uh, if you are hanging out with us on the live stream, thanks for joining us on Twitter and YouTube. If you're listening to this on the podcast, um, please laugh at our takes about these games that you've already watched from last night. Um, we will talk to you guys very soon. And uh, have a great day. Stay safe out there with the snow and all that too, because that's that's scary stuff. So be safe. Talk to you soon. Have a great night.